Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, experts, tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Today's episode of the Essential Tennis Podcast is brought to you by TennisExpress.com. Please check them out this week by going to EssentialTennis.com slash Express. Thank you very much for joining me on today's show. Before we get to our topic today, well, to our guest actually, who's a special uh, return guest that you guys will recognize if you've been listening to the show for a while. I I just want to say that I got all those shipments of tennis strain out to those of you, you who were kind enough to leave reviews on the iTunes music store and send me your address. I apologize that it took me a while to get to that, but I, I shipped out quite a few, um, a lot of them international as well. So I hope you guys enjoyed the strain. And those of you listening in the U.S., you should have it this week. If you're listening to me today, which is uh, Monday the 29th, probably in the next day or two, and international listeners probably, I don't know, about a week from today or so. Again, today is November 29th. So thank you guys again for your support and, and for your, your kind words in the iTunes uh, music store. Really appreciate it. All right, let's go ahead and get to today's guest. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. My guest today on the Essential Tennis Podcast is Dr. Jack Kripsack. Dr. Jack, welcome back to the podcast. It's really great to have you back on the show. Thanks, Ian. It's been, uh, it's been too long. Uh, I've been very busy with a lot of stuff, and I am ecstatic to be back tonight. Yeah, I'm really happy to have you, and especially because you were really one of the first kind of outsiders, you know, to kind of reach in and contact me. And um, Dr. Jack, for those of you who have not listened to a lot of the older shows, he was actually one of the first sponsors of the Essential Tennis Podcast. So I, I always, you know, have continued to appreciate that, Dr. Jack. And he's been on the show many times. Uh, Dr. Jack, I actually just redid the podcast section and it's all done into categories now. And so if, if you go there and click under, uh, injuries and sports medicine, all the shows that you've done with me are all listed there. And it's been quite a few, I don't know how many off the top of my head, but thank you so much for how often you've been a guest on the show. Oh, it's always been my pleasure, Ian. I've, I, uh, I always felt there was great promise, uh, with your show when I first started listening to it a few years ago and. And I see that uh, that's all coming to fruition, and you're really doing a great job with the podcast and all the other tangential things that have gone with it. So I'm really proud of you, and I'm, I, I uh, wish you all the best for your continued success. Hey, th- thanks, man. I appreciate it. No but I'll tell you what, uh, before we get to our questions, uh, there's a lot of new listeners on the show since the last time I had you on. So can you please give us a brief background of yourself as a tennis player? I know you haven't been able to play much recently, but... I know that you're a fan of the sports, and uh, you've definitely been a, a recreational player in the past, and I, I know you hope to in the future. Uh, so give us a quick background on yourself as a player and also as a sports medicine doctor and what kind of athletes you work with on a regular basis. Sure. I mean, real, real briefly, uh, I'm probably a, a good 4-0 player. I haven't played as much recently. As I mentioned to you uh, earlier before we started, I've been spending a lot of time teaching my uh, daughters how to play lacrosse. 
mm-hmm. uh, which has been a lot of fun. Um, I I really enjoy getting out, probably playing doubles more than singles, only because of my uh, history with being a basketball and lacrosse player. I'm I'm geared more to a a team type of sport than an individual sport. So, I mean, singles is nice, but I really like the camaraderie of having a teammate to play in doubles. It's just more with my uh, philosophy of, of a team game. So that would be as far as tennis. I and mean, I love getting out. It's a lot of fun. It's a great game. I, I live on a, in a golf course community, and I'm one of the few tennis players because really <laughs> I'm not a big uh, golf fan. I just definitely love tennis and breaking a sweat more. Good for you. Um, <laughs> thanks. And as far as um, my professional credentials, um, I'm board certified in family practice and sports medicine. Uh, I've been in practice for over 20 years. I take care of um, a women's major professional soccer league team, uh, a men's minor league baseball team, uh, some local high schools. Uh, I do some um, consulting work with Rutgers University. and just uh, a lot of fun stuff with that. And then, as we've mentioned off-air a few times, I'm really getting involved more and more with uh, stem cell work for um, regenerative medicine, which we've touched on on some past podcasts, which is really mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. All right, great. Well, let's uh, go ahead and get to some questions from from listeners. And I've been kind of letting these stack up a little bit, hoping that you would be back on the show. Our sure. first one has to do with hydration, which I know is kind of a passion of yours and something that you enjoy speaking about and something that is really, really important to not only the you know advanced player or professional player, but definitely to recreational players as well. And this question comes to us from Justin in Downey, California. He's a 3.5 player. He wrote and said, I'm a bigger guy and I sweat profusely. I often find myself drinking about one bottle of water or Gatorade per hour of play. However, I get tired fairly easily in the hot weather, and when I use the restroom when I get home, I can see that I'm still dehydrated, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and I think we do. Yes. Uh, also, having to drink so much during a match makes me feel sick within the first few minutes of my drinking breaks. Is there a certain way to stay hydrated longer without having to drink so much, especially if you sweat as much as I do? Dehydration is hurting my game, and having to drink so much liquid during a match is hurting my game as well. Please help. So what do you think, Dr. Jack? All right. A um, couple of issues. First of all, it's, it's interesting that he's from California, and I, I, I imagine that's Southern California where the weather's probably nice all the time. One of the things that happens um, with all of us in changes of weather was what we call acclimatization. So a lot of times... Um, Players, when they go from a cold environment to a warm environment, if they're used to, say, uh, like me living in New Jersey or you living in Maryland, and we're used to colder weather and then we go to play in warmer weather, our sweat for the first couple weeks will have more salt in it until our body acclimatizes. So that will um, increase your dehydration rate and risk of cramps and decreased performance. But um, if you're like our listener that is in a warm climate all year round, and that's probably not the case. And he may just have a problem with losing more salt than would normally be expected. And I've had a few of these instances in the past. And one of the things that's easy enough to do is take your 16-ounce bottle of Gatorade about oh, an hour before, before you play and, order, mm-hmm. and add a quarter teaspoon of salt to that Gatorade and drink that because the salt will help retain the fluid better. 
Now, drinking a bottle of water or Gatorade per hour of play, I guess it depends on what size. Is it a 12, a 16, a 24-ounce bottle? A 16-ounce bottle may not be um, all that unusual to drink during, during the course of play, and you should stay well hydrated because if you don't, obviously your performance is going to decrease. So one of the things I would say is you can start off with water or you can drink half-strength Gatorade after that um, loading dose with the with a pinch of salt, or even with that, just maybe halfway through the match, again, add a quarter teaspoon of salt to one of your mid-match drinks, and that may help retain the salt and fluid in your system better and cut down on cramping and performance. Uh, and again, if it does make you feel a little nauseous, the Gatorade may just be too strong and you have to cut it down half strength, but you can still add that little pinch of salt. There may just be too much sugar in the full strength for your stomach to handle. Okay. So, so, the, right? uh, so the additional salt, and I know that Gatorade, kind of one of the main ingredients is the, the sodium to begin with. How does that work exactly? So, so additional salt will even more so help your body absorb the, the fluids that we need? Right. Water follows salt. So wherever, that's, that's why people with high blood pressure will often get water pills because we're retaining and why they're told not to eat a lot of salt because mm. the more salt you take, um, the more water will follow it to try to equalize out your um, your fluid volume. So let's say you had a glass of water and you wanted to make iced tea. And oops, you put a little too much iced tea mix in there. So you have to add more water to dilute it out. Well, it's the same thing with your with your blood. You want to maintain a certain uh, concentration of water in your bloodstream. So if you have too much salt in there, the water's going to chase it in. But since you're sweating and you're losing it, adding extra salt will help you maintain it or keep mm. it in there. You follow okay. that? Yeah. Okay. So so, uh, so, so tip, num- tip number one is starting an hour before match time, correct? Right. If for this individual, for someone like this, who sweats profusely, loses a lot of fluid, then throw a pinch of salt into your 16-ounce bottle of Gatorade, have that about an hour before, and then once you start playing, have half-strength Gatorade, and maybe about halfway through the match, um, have one bottle of of, um, half-strength Gatorade that, again, has a quarter teaspoon of salt in it to retain the food, but not so much sugar that it may make you feel sick or nauseous, because it's probably the sugar load that's making you feel like that, not so much the sodium potassium. Okay. Are there, by the way, are there sports drinks out there? And I've started to become more sensitive to this. My, my wife is kind of getting on this big uh, natural foods kick and kind of organic, et cetera. Um, obviously, there's, there's so much sugar in Gatorade just to make it taste better. Are there right. other options out there that don't have that big amount of sugar? Um, you know, most of them do. They, they can't have too much sugar because if you go beyond the 6% glucose solution, that actually your body's going to have to, de- um, to dehydrate or pump water in from your bloodstream into your stomach to dilute it before it can be reabsorbed into your small intestine. So none of the sports drinks really want to make a greater than 6% glucose solution drink. So they're all about in that range. So what I, again, what I'd say is dilute it half strength with water and okay. make your own... Um, uh, make your own formula, really. Another thing that some people like to try is Pedialyte, which is a kid's drink for when kids get a little dehydrated. And again, you can cut that down by uh, 50% with water also because it can be a little tough to take because it's so strong. And a lot of yeah. it bring also. Yeah. You know what? That, that's funny you mentioned that. I, I just did a clinic a couple weeks ago in 
in Palm Springs, California, and one of the attendees was having problems cramping um, from Nebraska, by the way. So just like you were describing, he, he was definitely going through the process of, of trying to get used to the the much warmer weather than he was used to. Was right, he, so you know, his sweat had more salt in it, which is why he was more likely right. to cramp. So he started cramping up, and it was it was odd for him. It was He was cramping up in his calves, which he said never happened before. He tried drinking tons of water, didn't really help much. And during our lunch break, he went out and, and got some Pedialyte, mm-hmm. and it actually helped him quite a bit. So I've seen that, that work uh, firsthand. Right. And you know, the interesting thing that you said is now he's gone from Nebraska down to, where'd you say, Palm, Palm Springs, Palm Beach? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Palm Springs. Yeah. Palm Springs. So, right. So now his sweat is higher in sodium concentration. So he's losing more salt and he's replacing his fluids with just water which is diluting his blood out even more, creating even more cramps. Ah. Uh, huh. So the salt is super important here. Correct. Correct. Especially when you do that um, climate change from a cold environment to a warm environment because it takes two weeks of exercising in that warmer climate to get your salt concentrations back to where they should be and not losing too much salt. Okay. It's a two-week acclimatization period. So as far as ingesting sodium is concerned, uh, for, for the benefit of staying hydrated, I've heard an old school remedy suggested before of using pickle juice. Is that uh, just kind of a wives' tale or is that something that can work? That's that old Dallas Cowboy thing from about 10 years ago. No, it works <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you can tolerate it. I'd rather throw the pink salt <laughs> in the Gatorade. It's, it's much more palatable. All right, so so in review here for Justin. So so begin an hour beforehand, um, Gatorade with, uh, was it a teaspoon or a half quarter, a teaspoon of salt? Quarter, quarter teaspoon. Quarter teaspoon. Quarter okay. teaspoon. And, and then if that doesn't work, there are these special um, little packets of, of uh, sodium and potassium supplements called Gator Lights, but the general public can't get them. Only athletic trainers and, and physicians can get them. So he might have to talk to his uh, physician to... He'll go on a uh, line at Gatorade and, uh, and get those for him to give a try. Okay. Okay. Um, anything further, Dr. Jack, on this topic? Any other tips for Justin before uh, we move on? No, I, I think that should do it. I think if he tries that, um, that should work out. And you know what? Give us a holler back. Let Ian or myself know how you made out with that. And if, does, if that doesn't work, uh, I'll see what other rabbits I can pull out of my hat for you. Okay. Great. Well, Justin, good luck with that. And our next question comes to us from Andrew from the forums in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He wrote and said, Ian, can we do a podcast on stretching? Not just limbering up before a match, but stretching for added dexterity and injury prevention. I think this question would be great for us weekend warriors and our pulled groins and hammies. Thank you. Uh, so what do you think, Dr. Jack? Do you have some stretching suggestions for um, injury prevention specifically? Sure. Stretching is um, an interesting topic because, you know, we, we've gone through this whole range of uh, philosophies on stretching. It used to be, you know, back in the 60s, that bouncing ballistic type stretching. And then we went into, you know, in the 80s, the uh, sustained stretch, the nice, long, slow stretch. And there are some articles that show that that has actually impeded uh, jumping performance in athletes, hmm. the amount of height that they can attain if they stretch before they jump. Um, but there's always the concept that it helps decrease injuries, which I totally believe in. 
And now we're into dynamic stretching, which I think has been covered on some podcasts in the, ba- in, in the past, where we stretch the muscle during uh, an activity. So in other words, um, you'll walk and stretch at the same time to limber up the muscles, which is a great way to do that. Um, you can uh, find those. There are flashcards and videos, and I know I've mentioned this in the past from... Um, the Nike Spark collection that will teach you uh, how to do a, a good dynamic warm-up. And it really shouldn't take you more than five to ten minutes to do that. And you can do it pretty easily on the court as you're warming up. It's kind of a warm-up and stretch at the same time, and it, and it really works wonderful. Because, yes, it will, in my opinion, help to decrease your pulled groin and, and hamstring muscles. So you mentioned uh, specifically like a walk and stretch at the same time. Can you please go in a little bit further detail and um, tell us how we can do that? Sure. Um, let's say go cross court. Go from one. Go from the out of bounds line on doubles from one side, and you're going to walk across the court to the out of bounds line on, for the doubles on the opposite side of the court. Mm-hmm. And the first one, uh, like an example of one, would be. Um, either what's called a toy soldier or a Frankenstein, where as you take a step, you take your leg and kick it up to your hand with your hand extended out 90 degrees so you look like a a marching soldier. So your your foot comes up with a high kick to touch your hand, and then with your next step, you touch your hand. So you you stretch your hamstring as you're walking. Um, Another one would be that uh, as you take one step forward, you pull your your leg back up to touch your back, like in your buttocks area, and then that leg comes down, and as you take another step, you pull your leg back up would be another example. So you're, just, you're, you're walking and stretching at the same time. You know, pictures worth a thousand words is probably easier to just see. And I'm sure <laughs> just uh, did a Google for dynamic stretching, you would get a ton of stuff. And again, the nice yeah. Spark program you know, has flashcards and DVDs that show you how to do this. Okay. Yeah, I just put dynamic stretch into YouTube, and okay. uh, it brought back brought brought back two thousand one hundred uh, results. And I'm looking at all kind of different uh, examples here. So yeah, that's a good yeah. suggestion. Yeah, and you know, I know on on past podcasts um, or even past forums, people have sent questions about that and sent me YouTube videos on that or asking about it. And I know that there's stuff out there, and I think there's even things that if you archive some of the old um, forum questions that I've gotten, it's been, it's been di- directed at that with, uh, with the dynamic warm-up. Okay. All right. Um, so dynamic warm-up, um, stretching and moving at the same time, getting the, the blood flowing while you get those muscles uh, lengthened out and warmed up. Any, anything further as far as uh, stretching for injury prevention? Uh, it's, good to war- it's good to do a little... Um, cardiovascular warm-up even before you do the dynamic stretching. What's okay. nice about that is I, I learned this at a sports medicine course years ago. Think about a piece of um, of taffy. If it's cold and you hit it against the table, it's going to crack. But if you put it out in the warm sun and then hit it against the table, it stretches. So if you can, say, do a little jog or get on a stationary bike or a rowing machine just to get the blood flowing and and get your muscles warmed up a little bit before you go and do the dynamic stretch, that works even better. Okay. What do you think about something that myself and my 
college teammates used to do as we did kind of a box run uh, warm up was uh, we would take a football out and, and throw it across the court back and forth. What do you think about that as far as warming up the, the arm and shoulder? Yeah, sure. That's great. That's, you know, it, it, it kind of goes along with the dynamic warm up. You're, you're stretching mm-hmm. and activating the muscle at the same time. You're, you're utilizing muscles that you're going to use during the match. So, no, I think that's, that's great. That would be fine. If you don't have a, um, a football, just, you know, throw the tennis ball back and forth to sure. each other. Okay. All right. Good stuff. Uh, any final thoughts on that before we move on? No. Before we get to the last part of today's show, I want to remind my listeners about the official sponsor of the Essential Tennis Podcast, and that is TennisExpress.com the best online retailer for all your tennis needs, rackets, bags, strings, gear, you know, shoes, apparel, etc. Whatever you guys need, they've got it. They have really good prices, very competitive prices for online gear and equipment, and free shipping for orders over $75. And to check them out, please go to EssentialTennis.com slash Express. EssentialTennis.com slash Express. That will redirect you right away to TennisExpress.com, and it's going to put a little tracking code in there. And I've, I've got to set up with them now so that a small percentage of all of your guys' purchases come back to support the Essential Tennis Podcast, which I appreciate very much. So I thank them for their support of the Essential Tennis Podcast. And if you guys would be so kind as to go at least check them out and see what they've got, I'd really appreciate that as well. Again, that is TennisExpress.com. And the link is EssentialTennis.com slash Express. Thank you guys very much. All right. Uh, just two more quick uh, questions here before we, we wrap the show up. Both of these come from Barats in California. Uh, for, first question he has, I'm, I'm actually a little curious about myself because I, I don't know if it's... Uh, well, well, here, let me just read the question. <laughs> he wrote and said, I have noticed a lot of pro pro players wearing cycling shorts, compression shorts, under their regular tennis shorts. Roddick, Query, and the Bryan brothers do this. Is this something that they do to prevent injury, etc.? Or is it simply a wardrobe uh, choice? Uh, which one is it, Dr. Jack? I guess it depends on the player. Now, you, you're, taking, you're taking me back to my <laughs> uh, Andre Agassi days. Yeah. Denim shorts with the hot pink compression shorts <laughs> sewn in. So you didn't have a choice. It was all in one. Do you remember those? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah absolutely. I'm, going back, I'm going back to the 80s playing tennis when I was a resident down in Clearwater, Florida. Didn't, uh, didn't Jimmy Connors also uh, rock the uh, compression shorts? I think so. I think so. I think he did. Uh, now, um, you know, I like to wear them when I work out under, or, or play tennis sometimes under, under my shorts. Um, just because they feel comfortable. But there are companies now that are designing uh, compression shorts and the way that the stitching is made into the short helps to activate your muscles to contract and decrease the risk of injuries. In fact, I was was talking to some of my uh, colleagues at our sports performance and rehab center and they said that this company came out and actually the compression shorts were only, the ones that this company's come out with and I don't remember their name unfortunately, but they're only for women. And they actually showed that in a, um, in a box jump test where these um, collegiate female athletes would jump off a box, land, and then jump up as high as they can and land, 
and we look to see how much their knees um, become like knock need mm-hmm. during this uh, maneuver, and that shows their. It's one of the things that shows their risk of um, of getting an ACL injury. Well, the girls did it before and after putting these shorts on, and without telling them what the shorts were meant to do, the majority of them improved their landing wearing the shorts where they didn't become mm-hmm. as knock need just because of the way the shorts activated their muscles and their thighs and hamstrings. Really? So that was kind of cool. So yeah, there can, there definitely can be benefit to wearing the compression shorts that, and you'd have to look because they'll, they'll they would be ones that we would be marketed towards activating your muscles to fire in a certain pattern to help prevent injury and, and maximize efficiency. But that's not going to be all your basic compression shorts. Right. That's interesting. Basic, I, yeah, sorry. your basic bicycling short underneath is really just a fashion statement. But okay. there are certain ones that have certain stitch patterns that can help with your muscle firing. Okay. I kind of I, I had all, all along just kind of assumed that it was uh, – you know, when the players would sit down on the chairs and, and put a towel uh, over their shorts, you know, to keep, you know, photographers from taking uh, embarrassing pictures, et cetera, the, the women will sure. do that as well. I, I always just kind of assumed it was that, that type of reason. I, I actually didn't know that they had specific, uh, specifically designed shorts for actual, actual athletic uh, benefit. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It is. I, and I think now that um, this is becoming more popular, I think you're going to see more and more of this over the next few years. Huh. All right. So there you go. Um, something to watch out for. Okay. And uh, last question here, um, having to do with the braces. Um, again, Barat wrote and said, few pro players uh, wear ankle braces, and they seem to usually only wear it on one leg uh, when they do have one. I think Murray used to wear it on both legs. Not sure if he still does. I guess the ankle brace prevents her ankle from twisting. And then in parentheses, lateral movement of the ankle. Does this prevent your mobility to a certain extent? Because some players prefer it, but most don't, unless it is beneath their socks and not visible, etc. Is it worth it for the recreational player to wear this type of brace? And does it affect one's mobility? Or is it just up to each player's individual comfort level? What do you think? Well, that's a good question. I don't think anyone's going to want to wear an ankle brace unless they have a problem. So they're, they're not really, they really shouldn't be used prophylactically to help prevent an ankle sprain. Okay. Because whether you talk about ankles or knees, there is no brace in the world that's as effective in preventing a sprained ankle or knee injury as good as strong muscles. So you're much better spending some time every day doing exercises that will strengthen your muscles and help with what we call proprioception of the muscle. And that is much more beneficial than wearing a brace to prevent. One of the easiest exercises you can do with that is a stork stance. Uh, And I know I'm pretty sure I've talked about this in the past. You stand on one leg, bend your knee a little bit, close your eyes, and maintain your balance for one minute. Do that for each leg every day. And that helps send um, or helps tone the the um, nerve fibers that go from your muscles to your brain and back to your muscle to help the muscles fire more efficiently. And this exercise has been shown to both prevent ankle sprains and to help get athletes that have injured their ankle back to competition um, quickly when doing those exercises. So it's a, it's a really nice thing to do. 
And usually if someone's wearing an ankle brace, it's more, it's more because they have an acute injury or they've had so many chronic ankle injuries that they are just gaining stability from that. And um, that may just be what their trainer or physician has recommended for them to wear. But, um, you know, there's other things you can do, and that would lead me into the, you know, a whole topic of prolotherapy and platelet-rich plasma therapy to help heal the ligament damages. But um, I'm, I'm not... Uh, I'm not a big advocate of using them chronically. Certainly, in an acute injury, if someone uh, someone's in a big tournament and they and they sprain their ankle like a week before or, or several days before, yeah, they may have to wear it. But otherwise, I don't know if it's really beneficial to have to continue to wear an ankle brace. And um, most athletes would tell you that it, it will affect um, it will affect them or their performance slightly. Most athletes really don't like to wear them. I have to them into wearing it, and again, it's usually because of an acute injury, not because of something chronic. Okay. All right, so definitely only used as a kind of last line of defense or, you know, if if they have no other choice, that's really the only reason why players should be using it. Right. I, I You know, my personal philosophy is that there are other exercises and other treatments that are much more beneficial than an ankle brace. Okay. Okay. All right. Good stuff. Um, any uh, final thoughts on any of these topics, Dr. Jack? We, we covered some good stuff. The hydration, uh, stretching, compression shorts. First time that's been covered on the podcast, that's for sure. And, uh, and braces as well, ankle braces. Um, anything further on any of those topics? Nah, you know what? Um, for the time allotted, I think we've uh, covered some nice stuff. They were excellent questions, all very pertinent to tennis. I, I think they were really, really good. It was very enjoyable to talk about all of them. And I hope your listeners have learned a few things. Sure they have. Well, uh, as we were going through our conversation here, I uh, just just for old time's sake, I went back into the archives because I, I was curious when our first show was. So so this is going to be episode number 146. Uh, wow. The first, yeah, the first show you were on was number 14. Wow. Uh, today, Dr. Jack joins me on the show to talk about plantar fasciitis and how to treat it. And that was uh, July 7th, 2008. Podcast oh, I, rem- I remember that, Ian. I remember like it was yesterday. Six, seven, eight, nine, and this is our tenth. Uh, this is our tenth episode together. So, thank thank you for for all the time you spent uh, with me on the show, Doctor Jack, and you've pr- provided a huge amount of uh, you know resources and information for my listeners. And for those of you listening who this is maybe the first time you've heard Doctor Jack, go to essentialtennis.com slash podcast. And then over on the right, click Injuries and Sports Medicine, and you can check out all the shows that we've done together. So again, thank you, Dr. Jack. Oh, it's my pleasure, Ian. It's always a lot of fun. All right. That does it for episode number 146 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Thank you very much for your support of myself and of the show by downloading today's episode and for listening to it. Also, thank you to all of you who go check out Tennis Express this week at EssentialTennis.com slash Express. And definitely check out the new podcast page as well with all the new categorized uh, setups (laughs) on the right-hand side of the page. All the different categories are there so you guys can find exactly what topics you'd like information on and download them from there. And make sure to check out iTunes as well, the best way to download the show on a, on a weekly basis. Okay, that does it for this week. Thanks again, everybody. Take care, and good luck with your tennis.